We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from Wild Turkey Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey. Let's tune in to their one-on-one with Jamal, a real bartender from Old Fourth Ward in Atlanta. I really get into the backstory of whatever I'm pouring. Out of respect. There are literally years of experience behind these bottles. Wild Turkey, same recipe since 1942. If you want a true classic, this is what you want to order. Wild Turkey. Wild Turkey Distilling Company, Lawrenceburg, Kentucky. Copyright 2020, Campari, American, New York, New York. Never compromise, drink responsibly. Welcome into the RotoWire NFL podcast, brought to you by our friends over at Dynasty Owner and our friends over at FanDraft. I'm your host, John McKechnie, joined as always by Mario Puig, hanging out on this Thursday here in July. And uh, there's actually a fair bit of NFL and fantasy uh, stuff going on today, so we have a pretty packed uh, show for everyone. Uh, we're going to get into the Raheem Mostert uh, discussion uh, with the 49ers. We are also going to, of course, get into the Scott Fishbowl, Mario participating in that, rep- representing Rotowire uh, very well. I've gotten a peek at, at the roster, at the squad. Uh, I'm pleased and also pleased just by the sheer amount of SEC uh, presence there is on, on that squad. And we are also going to get into Mario's most recent article, um, talking some more job battles. We're going to get into Tampa Bay with that running back situation. I'm still having trouble figuring that one out. So hopefully Mario can make heads and tails of that one for us. Um, and also, uh, we're going to get into those New England receivers outside of Julian Edelman. So a lot to discuss. Uh, but Mario, let's start things off with Raheem Mostert. So we're a little, uh, news breaks uh, Wednesday afternoon um, that uh, Mostert's representation w- was going to seek a trade, and and um, that that kind of sent some somewhat of a shockwave through the fantasy landscape. Just you know, under the assumption that that Mostert was going to be this lead back for the Forty ers someone that um, you know really really crushed it down the stretch last year. Everyone remembers the the NFC Championship game where he racked up 220 yards and four touchdowns against the Packers, but he offered a lot more um, than that throughout the course of the season and really came on strong starting uh, in week 13 against Baltimore when he carved them up for 19 carries for 146 um, and a touchdown. Um, With Matt Breida being gone, it all all signs pointed to Mostert being this number one guy um, in San Francisco, but the the rub was he agreed to a contract uh, before last season, so last March, uh, a three-year, $8.7 million deal. And, and prior to uh, the 2019 season, he had a grand total of uh, 
40 carries for 291 yards in, over two years um, it, working in the in the San Francisco offense, uh, so 27 and 2018. And then he, he goes off in 2019, of course. So he his contract was essentially that of a special teams specialist and not one that of a running back that is going to be counted on uh, for 200 carries. So it makes sense that there is a bit of a, a readjustment to his contract that, that needs to be made here. Was designed last year specifically for the job of being a gunner on special teams. Like he's supposed to get paid as much as he's being paid right now to go try to tackle guys on punt coverage and kick coverage, which now they're asking him to be the starting running back for one of the most ambitious rushing attacks in the league. So if they believe, if the 49ers believe that he was worth his current amount to play special teams, then they themselves acknowledge that they believe he is worth more now. And I think it would look pretty bad to the rest of the team, especially those guys who are who are the backup types, the guys who are at the bottom of the roster, the ones outside of the starting 22. Those guys are going to look at the way the team treats this guy, Raheem Mostert, and, and think, wow, you will tell us out in the open that you think we are worth X and still offer us less than that, regardless of uh, – you know, what we went through on this team already, like Mostert's been grinding on practice squads and working his way up on special teams. Uh, he's going to be like 29 or something, you know, so it's like he just showed up last year, but he's been putting in a lot of work for not much praise or compensation to get where he's been. And it's got to be dispiriting if you're one of the other guys on the team and, and you see them treat one, one of the guys they openly acknowledge as one of their best players, as one of their most valuable players and still tell him to, you know, basically f off etc so it's gonna it's gonna be i think tough for the 49ers to play hardball in a, in a politically comfortable way i feel like what is politically comfortable here is just giving him a, what is a very modest raise is all he's asking for like it's it sounded more confrontational when the when the report broke like yeah. he most requests trade but it really was more like his agent i think strategically was trying to bring the dialogue to the public because the 49ers were probably trying to make an initial hardball pose of you just signed this contract last year and the agent probably just responded okay well let's go ask the public what they think and i think that's pretty smart because he's not making an unreasonable demand he's asking for a slight like he's he's asking for financial acknowledgement of what the 49ers are willing to otherwise acknowledge by appointing him as a starting running back you know he's he, they're only asking the 49ers to to basically back up what they say they believe in the form of compensating him for, for what they say he they think he's worth to to say that they think he's worth one thing and then say but we're not going to give you that it it has an alienating risk and i i think it's something that the 49ers would be foolish to disregard yeah so and and um i think we uh maybe this was your next talking point but i think that the niners do have the financial flexibility to get this done without like having that big of a headache like the the discrepancy between mostert's deal and say uh tevin coleman's is about 1.6 million uh mostert around the 25th uh highest paid uh running back at this time and, and coleman closer to, to uh, number 15 um on that chart so um it's not like san francisco or uh mostert is asking for the mccaffrey deal or, or anything no. uh like that he's just asking to you know be paid kind of like the a, a middle of the road for a starting running back in the league which i think that he might even be better than so i think you know four and a half million would still be a pretty decent uh deal for for both sides at 49ers especially especially if uh mostert is is ripping off carries uh the way that he was especially down the stretch in 2019 yeah i think so and you know this is a team that before he agreed to the pay cut was going to pay jerick mckinnon quite a bit more yet than what mostert is asking for so I don't know for for a guy to ask for three million more over two years in exchange from switching his role from gunner to starting running back seems modest. If like it, it's the it's far from audacious to ask for this. It's just he he is asking for scraps. That that's what Mostert is. He's asking if I can have some some of the scraps from the dinner that you've all made at the table here. And the 49ers now find themselves in the position where they can either just say sure or no. I don't think you're worth the scraps, or at least like I'm not going to give you these scraps unless someone makes me. And you know may, maybe they take that route, but 
it's not going to do good for any morale on the team if they do. No, and it it wouldn't make a ton of football sense either. So there, there's this feels like um, something where where Mostert and, and the Niners should be able to work something out um, in the coming weeks. And and um, you know, come week one, uh, Mostert is uh, the the starting running back for the Forty ers with a slightly higher. Uh, salary. I, I think that that's the way it plays out. I don't foresee a trade market necessarily forming for him. I, although I did, I think yeah. I did see. I forget if this was just like a stray uh, thought from someone on, on Twitter or an actual report that the Eagles might have been interested, uh, which would be you know that would have a huge ripple effect in the fantasy community because of uh, Miles Sanders' current price. But I don't necessarily uh, see that happening. No. Um, so, yeah, I think end of the day, uh, Mostert just becomes uh, one of the top 20 uh, highest paid running backs in the league and uh, kind of retains his role um, that he st- that he had uh, down the stretch for the Niners uh, heading into this year. Um, all right, so let's shift gears here, Mario. You are taking part in the what is it the tenth or the tenth uh, annual Scott Fishbowl, um, so that is a huge, huge um, kind of event. I, I feel like it that, and then for for me the the RotoWire Vegas uh, league draft it always kind of signals the the start of uh, really intense uh, football draft season. But uh, the Scott Fishbowl. Um, much larger than that. I think there are upwards of 1,200 participants um, in it. So it's a huge, huge undertaking that Scott Fish puts on. It's uh, pretty amazing. Like I'm an outsider um, on this one. I'm, I'm not participating in it uh, this year, but you know, just from where I'm sitting, it's pretty wild that that all of that is put together. And it's a very, very uh, unique format as well. There, there's a lot of um, oddities and little intricacies to the scoring formats that that kind of turn your traditional uh, ADP on its head. It, you know, there's a, a higher value placed on quarterbacks. That there's six points per passing touchdown, but also uh, minus four points uh, for an interception. So uh, the Jameis Winston uh, type of, of player last year would be really really funny to, to see in that type of format, especially when there's a, an added uh, deduction yeah. for four pick sixes. Winston in that one would have been so. It's it's a shame this the system didn't exist last year because it, like Winston's owners would would go into the second quarter like negative forty, and then like they get to the third quarter and he's like up to sixty, and then by the end of the fourth he's down to twelve again. Yeah, and then he you know there, there's I think uh, damage taken for for every sack too, and, and Winston got sacked over forty times last year. That so he's kind of like a wild example for this but he's a wild example for basically any uh fantasy scoring yeah. format but um there's also um an emphasis placed on accuracy um is it minus one point for for an incompletion and, and plus 0.5 points per completion yeah it's something like that so basically if i had to pick one player who benefited from that particular detail the most it'd probably be drew Brees. like a guy who completes over 70 percent of his passes is super valuable in something like this yeah. So, and and then you know the other side of that coin being um, someone who is inaccurate that you know is completing sixty percent or less of his passes. That's going to be a drain. And then especially when you take into account that um, the quarterback touchdowns being six points um, as opposed to four, like they are in, in standard leagues, that that kind of uh, lessens. Um, the impact and and allure of a quarterback that that leans a lot on his rushing ability as well. Yeah, I'd say the rushing loophole doesn't really apply very much in a league like this, both because of the incompletion part and, uh, it, you know, you protect yourself from incompletion penalties by throwing more passes and completing more of them. So somebody like Josh Allen, he'll probably have his his customary, you know, 30 point games here and there. But I also think someone like him is uniquely high risk to finish a game with like five points, because if he doesn't rush for a touchdown that week, if he completes 11 of 21 passes for 150 yards and a touchdown and two interceptions and still runs for whatever, 40 yards and a touchdown, that still might be, I don't know, I'm not running the numbers on this in my head, but that could still be only like 10 points or something annoying like that. So to start off the first round with my ninth overall selection, I took Dak Prescott because I'm pretty high on Dak and I I thought about you know, Kyler Murray, who was the only other who, who was the next quarterback on the board, along with Drew Brees. Uh, Pat Mahomes went third overall and Lamar Jackson went fourth. So at the ninth pick, 
and with without having the benefit of foresight of how this draft order would go exactly, I thought I should probably answer my quarterback one question since I had the chance to and since I couldn't convince myself that I definitely would at my next pick. So it started with Dak because I, I, I believe in his abilities as a passer. I know some people think that he's, he's going to regress from last year. I think that would be pretty odd if he regressed even as they replace Randall Cobb with CD lamb, who I do think is a big upgrade. Like Cobb had good numbers last year, but he dropped a lot of the passes and kind of had uh, just advantageous yards after the catch setups. And I absolutely expect lamb to do more with those same things. So I, I like Dak, even, even if he, I'm not expecting him to throw like 4,900 yards, but I am expecting 4,500, 4,600 and one of the best touchdown totals basically with, by the way, you know, he, he still does have some understated rushing ability, which could flare up, especially if, if Zeke, you know, got hurt, God forbid, so that was how I started, even even though I didn't even though I didn't feel like Dak was obviously the best pick there. I just thought, you know, I'm worried about I'm worried enough about how it could go wrong at quarterback that I'm still gonna take him here. Absolutely. And and you know, for for context purposes, um to, to kind of show the listeners just how different that this draft board shakes out compared to your your normal uh NFFC or best ball or or even uh home league. Um, Mahomes and Lamar Jackson went picks three and four in this one. So Dak Prescott, the QB three off the board um, at pick nine. So again, it, it kind of underscores um, the importance and uh, inflation to to an extent. Um, but yeah, yeah, just overall emphasis um, on on getting your quarterback right. And I think uh, going after after Dak early uh, made a lot of sense, especially with the way that that the uh, the board fell. Um, where Mahomes and Jackson were off the board, then Zeke, Kamara, Travis Kelsey, Michael Thomas, um, all came off. Of course, after after uh, McCaffrey and Barkley uh, led things off. Um, so once you had your QB one uh, settled, how did you want to approach things uh, thereafter? Well, I thought a long time about taking Kyler Murray at the 16th overall selection, but I opted not to. I, th- I thought that might be going a little too aggressively into the premise of you know paying up for quarterbacks like maybe that would be excessive i still think it would have been a good move but what i did was take julio jones who is my wide receiver one this year and i didn't i like i don't normally take receivers in this round uh, for other formats julio is my ideal target if i do but i was hoping to get nick chubb there who actually went a pick earlier at the 15th selection so once chubb was off the board i was down to basically kyler and julio and I thought, you know, I can I can probably get a decent quarterback, a decent super flex quarterback at my third or my fourth pick. So I'm less confident in my ability to get a definite top five wide receiver. And, and so I took Julio there. Uh, yeah, that, that definitely makes sense, especially with, with Chubb being off the board at that point. So, you know, going after Julio. Um, I, I think that's the right play, especially looking at, at who else was on the board and who went who went shortly thereafter, like Devonte Adams, uh, Kenyon Drake, uh, Tom Brady actually went before uh, Russell Wilson and Kyler Murray. <laughs> so um, yeah, that's uh, you're free to do that, I guess. Um, uh, I wouldn't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, the with coming up with the third pick, what I was hoping for was to get Matt Ryan to to do the Julio Matt Ryan combo, but he went a couple picks earlier than that so uh the other wrinkle aside from the super flex and the quarterback emphasis scoring the pa- the passing emphasis generally at quarterback the other thing is the tight end premium scoring where instead of a half of a point per reception and a half of a point per first down tight ends get a full point in both cases so when you're talking high reception volume tight ends uh let's say somebody who projects for more than 75 receptions that does add up that's that's kind of turning that tight end into uh you know a 100 catch receiver something like that make it making their value uh comparable so it makes sense to reach for tight ends in that case because you know you're not gonna get uh like there aren't many tight ends who can fit into that distinction uh even even though there's a general boost for all tight ends it's especially that top tier that that can really pile up the benefits of that since it's attached to first downs which is you know dictated by volume so uh darren waller is one of those tight ends for me and a lot of people are lower on him than me but zach Ertz went at uh, 28th overall at the 33rd pick i took waller I i was hoping to get matt ryan or deandre hopkins Uh, They both went the first two picks, so Waller wasn't exactly my ideal target. But 
after taking him and watching the way that the draft order fell from there, I was I was pretty glad that I did because uh, you know he he had 90 catches last year. He's still a huge fast guy. His quarterback still doesn't throw downfield. Like Tyrell Williams, Henry Ruggs run all day. That's fine. Derek Carr's not going to throw to you. So if 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 Waller's on the field, I love him. Uh, and even even though I I know I saw some people getting him in like the fifth round of their particular Scott Fish League, so um, my thirty third overall selection might go down as the highest uh, Waller pick in this whole contest. I think it makes sense though. I mean, like you said, the way that the tight end premium works in this in this draft, it you know it obviously applies to all tight ends. I don't think that there's like. Um, you know the the specialized difference the way that that there might be with with some of the quarterback scoring it's just simply like if your if your tight end is good no matter how how he is good like how he how he gets to those points um it's it's going to be something that that works out whereas like quarterback if if you're good in a certain way it can be particularly beneficial um, right so yeah there's kind of a runaway benefit sort of threshold like where it's just kind of they, they it's like looking at the solar system, you know, where it's like after the first four planets, each planet is like a billion miles apart from the one before it. And so they're in they're in a number one through ten order, but like five through ten uh, basically are, are, are you know, in, in a totally different category. Who's Pluto? Um, I guess that's what Kittle and Kelsey are fighting over or I don't, I don't know. Like they're, they're they're getting like the like I don't think the distance from the top tight end to make the perfect Pluto analogy happens, but there are those, uh, you know, there are, the, there is that cluster of just the first five planets and they, they have like, technically they're getting a little bit of a boost from the tight end scoring, but they're not creating as much distance with each like unit of the benefit, the way that the guys who have the max volume, max reception projection can. So we're going to have fantasy analyst Galileo Galilei on the next episode. So, uh, the timing of that reference actually works out. Yeah, this 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 super helpful analogy will be made into a more clear sense for you. Just wait a week, everyone. It's going to be awesome. We'll be wearing fun hats. Um, all right, so moving past that, um, you you kind of closed um, or assuaged any any concern that you would have about uh, your QB two by by attacking it um, in the fourth round. So that that's something that I, I think I would want to do. I want I would want to leave the fifth or sixth round at the latest um, with my quarterback spoken for, so I wouldn't have to uh, be scraping the bottom of the barrel, especially when there are quarterbacks that maybe I like in in different formats um, that might not be as useful in this one, like a Daniel Jones that that type of thing. Um, I would feel uneasy about having to start him um in this type of format so you went uh with an established vet um a guy who had a shortened season last year but um i think is is in a system where this should really work out for this particular scoring format uh, and that's matthew stafford of the detroit lions yeah he was playing at a career high level last year uh the six point per passing touchdown is kind of interesting because he, he was scoring touchdowns at a pretty high rate last year Maybe I should have taken Carson Wentz at 33rd and hoped for Waller at 40 because I do have Wentz ranked a little bit ahead of Stafford. I, I, I think uh, that like I, I'm a really big Jalen Rager fan and I think Carson Wentz is good. So I think he's going to bounce back this year. But uh, Stafford was the one who fell like Wentz went th- uh, three selections after I took Waller. Stafford, I was also lucky to get because I have Stafford safely ahead of Aaron Rodgers, and yet Rodgers was the 39th pick. Kirk Cousins was the 43rd pick. Uh, Daniel Jones, the 48th. So as much as I maybe could have done a little better with the position, I was still glad to get Stafford later than a player that I thought was inferior and shortly before players who I know are inferior to him. So with that in mind, your roster through four rounds while very strong uh, with, with Dak Prescott, um, with Julio Jones, with Darren Waller, with Matthew Stafford, I think the question asked by anyone looking at this roster would be, where are your running backs? Oh, do I have to draft running backs? Uh, yeah, I didn't think uh, plan the rules. for that, really. Yeah, uh, I, I ended up going with not many running backs <laughs> so far. <laughs> so um, it's not proper zero running back because I, I did take DeAndre Swift – who I consider like a borderline top 12, top 15 kind of runner. He fell to the seventh round. And so before then I took two other receivers. I took Amari Cooper at 57, pairing him with Dak Prescott. And then I took 64th overall AJ Brown because 
it just seemed wrong that he was on the board, I guess. Like, that is correct. Uh, yeah. So when, as much as I, as much as it's, it's easy for kind of players to fall in, in a big lineup sort of league like this, like, like I got AJ Brown at the 64th pick while Kenny Galladay, who I kind of rank about the same, something like that. Kenny Galladay went way up at 42 and 22 spots between them. It's, it's not quite the same as it sounds in most leagues because you're starting 11 spots here, but that still just seems like a wrong gap to me. So I took, I took AJ Brown. It was hard enough for me to decide between Cooper and Brown at 57 Brown at 64 was easy. I'm getting him after players like Evan Ingram, Kareem hunt, Darius Geis, it's it just seems like I want to be the guy taking AJ Brown in that range, you know. Uh, so I did, and he's they're all going to be in my starting lineup. This isn't like in twelve team redraft or standard best ball formats where it's three wide receivers and one flex. It's three wide receivers and four flexes, and I'm using Stafford for one of those, and I'm using a second tight end for one of them too. But I can still start uh, at least five receivers any week and up to seven. I think so. Yeah, if, if 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 we're taking a different sort of league format here, I guess it makes some sense to spend that early those early picks on running back lottery ticket picks because you can afford to kind of just uh, leave them on the bench and then benefit from the mid range wide receiver depth to fill out your wide receiver rosters. In this format where you're starting eleven people, I think this just ends up with people having to pit their uh, shares of like. I don't know, uh, trying to pull up a, a good – like like people are going to have to start Marlon Mack where I'm going to start Will Fuller, who is my 10th uh, round pick. And that's not even a contest. Like I project one for like four times as much production as the other, you know? So mm-hmm. I feel like if, if we're starting these players instead of just hoarding our assets to try to get one knockout punch at running back because the mid-round wide receiver depth allows us to do that with impunity – there is punity in this case because Will Fuller's in my starting lineup. He's not in my bench. And and your your running back in your starting lineup is someone who's on his real life team's bench. Oof. Yeah. Or or like uh, you know, having to start like an Alexander Madison or something. Yeah. And somebody is, by the way. Like I so I'll I'll try to like speed through these next few picks. So it's AJ sure. Brown finally get my first running back at eighty one. DeAndre Swift, which that wasn't the goal going in, but given the prices that everyone paid for the players preceding this, I think it's one of the best picks in the draft because uh, like Cam Akers is someone who is, he's just worse than DeAndre Swift. He's not as good of a running back. And I don't agree with the premise that Akers is given a bigger share of the Rams offense than Swift is the Lions one. I, I think that's just wrong. And even if it is true, a greater percentage of Swift's functions will occur in the passing game where he gets the PPR benefit Akers, like, we have reason to believe he could be an okay pass catcher. We have no reason to believe he's half as good as Swift. Uh, so his his functions will be more rushing-oriented, in which case he's just a guy who's who's trying to pile up rush attempts on, on a team that really struggled with its blocking last year and is going to have a smaller field on its uh, – smaller defensive field on itself because they forfeited the speed threat with Cooks, which allows the safeties to creep up that much more. Mm-hmm. So I think Swift is clearly the better pick, and yet Akers went 52nd. And I got Swift at eighty first. Oh I, man! I can't. I can't. I keep looking at this and I keep thinking it must be wrong, but it's not. That's what happened. Twenty nine spots apart for the for the better player. I'll take it. I'll lock in that win. And then coming into eighty eight, my my eighth round pick, I took DJ Chark. This is me. It, like the, the beauty of this eleven starting position format is that you can you can just keep basking in that mid round wide receiver depth and put it all in your starting lineup instead of having to put someone on your bench and, and, you know, being, being like the, having the losing team where you have all this theoretical depth assets with, with no means of harnessing actual points. Like this isn't bench points for me. This is just a potential top 12 receiver. Who's my wide receiver for. So that's how I look at it. I, I think Chark there is a huge steal. And also, it, again, it's like the Swift thing. People are taking players at that same position who should not be going ahead of Chark. Jarvis Landry should not go ahead of DJ Chark, but that's who went uh, the pick before. So I feel like I'm getting away with these little like micro robberies with like Stafford after Rodgers and Swift 29 selections after Akers and, and DJ Chark immediately after Landry. Like I never should have had the chance to take Chark there. So, uh, but I but I did and I took him. 
And then ninth round, TJ Hawkinson, my tight end too, who I was, I was glad to get him here. I was anxious about it. It was a pretty close call because the next pick was Goddard. And uh, a few picks after that, it was Blake Jarwin, Jack Doyle by 111. So within six picks of me getting Hawkinson, someone took Jack Doyle. Absolutely, Hawkinson is way better than that. And uh, yeah, I, it was it was a nice uh, t- to have a bit of a stack going with Stafford, Swift, Hawkinson. It wasn't that I was targeting the Lions specifically, but once I cast my lot with the Lions and then subsequently had opportunities to get more Lions shares at what I think are sub-market rates – that in that particular sort of case, the stack absolutely makes sense to me. And in the context of the broader lineup construction, it's like, yeah, you're kind of you're kind of limiting your upside a bit the more the more you put into one offense because the highest upside possible is taking the highest range producer available in any given offense. And categorically, you're not getting that if you're if you're doubling, tripling down on sure. your offense. But there's you're really getting your depth tested here. I have every reason to believe all three of those guys are generally going to produce out uh, over the over the the expense the acquisition cost that i had for each of them accordingly and beyond that it's like i'm kind of getting a little more week to week volatility insurance because if stafford's in my super flex spot and he has a bit of an off game then either the lions just got totally tanked on offense or maybe Stafford did a little less as a passer because the running game did a bit more and Swift is a good candidate to be one of those people. And if Swift doesn't do much as a pass catcher, then the odds are going up that Hawkinson did, etc. So I like those I like those guys and Hawkinson in general is, is I think underrated. So got Will Fuller in the tenth. He's he's one of my guys this late. It's I got him after CeeDee Lamb, you know? Stuff like that shouldn't happen. Right. So got him and then uh I hate Sony Michelle any other time, but at 129th Finally, circling back to the Madison reference here, Madison was the 128th pick. Now, I have my questions about Michelle, certainly, and that's why I don't generally own him. But Madison is a backup who won't even get a workhorse role in the event that the starter is hurt or holding out or whatever people suspect with Dalvin Cook. Like, Madison will probably split carries with Mike Boone because Boone's a better pure runner than him. Like, Mm -hmm. Madison would probably be the passing down guy and Boone would probably get... 12 carries a game because he's really explosive and Madison isn't so little yeah again like little micro gains like that it's like Michelle not so great but if I'm getting him later than somebody's backup sure can't be that bad it's fractions of a penny you don't understand that's what it is yeah I'm, like no one's gonna notice and like uh, Superman yeah. too <laughs> like Superman well uh, I don't know I was just like quoting office space oh I was ex- yeah I was oh I, I missed that quote yeah but no one's gonna notice this this great scheme that I have it's it's gonna totally work well, dude and, I, until I, they I have un- all the confidence of, of Ron what's his name too and until um you know the the your strategy works too well and all of a sudden you you won the Scott Fishbowl but um I don't think this ends with in a tech burning down but um I could be wrong yeah I gotta find my uh what is it milton in this analogy <laughs> maybe you can do something i don't know okay um, i like staplers yeah, yeah so I, I took sony michelle as my running back to uh you know it's it's not good to have sony michelle as your running back too but it's one of those things like the times where it might work are probably cases where you have a wide receiver five like will fuller so that's 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 okay with me as much as i know that i still got work to do at running back but it's also you only need to start two running backs in this format you have to start 11 players but you only need to start two running backs so why would i want to pay a dollar 25 on the dollar every time i get a running back if i can just buy the position twice and instead take the more efficient purchases somewhere else like they're all going in my lineup these aren't bench points we are talking bench points though with zach moss my 12th round pick my third running back who i'm a truther about moss i didn't nearly apparently he's like a cousin of Cinerese and Santana. I didn't even know that. Oh, no um, way. Yeah, it doesn't matter because he's not supposed to be fast. He's actually like a big, slow running back. Um, but he's still functionally athletic. Like he's he slashes with the best of them. Uh, got the explosiveness. You know, he's, he's one of those guys who if, if he hits you with his knee when you're trying to tackle him, it's like you're getting a broken sternum. So I really like Zach Moss. And I think that Devin Singletary at 5'8", 203, pretty obviously has workload limitations and last year the limitation was within the 10 yard line so i expect zach moss being the bruiser that he is with the the exceptional balance that he has i expect him to to take the short yardage and thus the red zone the goal line carries uh pretty quickly in that buffalo offense uh and then my my most recent pick john 
at 153rd in the 13th round, Christian Kirk, who honestly, I had been thinking about taking him for the three rounds prior to that. Uh, people are getting Kirk completely wrong, and I, I don't really understand what people are looking at. But I got him there later than Jalen Rager, Justin Jefferson, later than Deontay Johnson, of course. Uh, which is wrong. You shouldn't take Deontay Johnson before Christian Kirk. I'm We've, yeah, we putting putting my name on that one for yep. sure. Um, but yeah, it's it's a it's a good looking team in my opinion. If I'm not wrong about my running backs, but I could be wrong about them and everything else. Well, I, I'm pulling I'm pulling for you, obviously. Um, but thank um, you. know, I, I, again, the, you're you're doing a bit of a high wire act with, with the running back, but I, and you acknowledge that too. But um, I think if you're going to play that game, um, I think the the names that you have picked out, you know, between Swift, Michelle, um, Zach Moss, and I'm sure you've got some other good ideas for how to attack these later rounds. Um, I think it'll round out pretty well. And like you said, you only have to start two. And your your receivers are totally loaded. Um, love the tight ends. I think you you were smart in the way that you you played the quarterback market. Um, so even if like your running backs are like near the bottom in terms of the production you're getting for them within your specific league, like you could just be lapping the field as far as your your receiver um, and tight end production to the point where you know that the running back thing just simply uh, doesn't really matter that much. Um, that's going to round it out for uh, our Scott Fishbowl discussion, at least this time. We'll, we'll touch on it next week um, when your draft is finalized. Um, before we get on to the rest of the show, we got a message from our friends over at Dynasty Owner. The best fantasy football leagues are those where every owner constantly pays attention, responds to trade offers, changes their lineup, and are always looking to improve their team. There is no off-season for these owners. That's who you're challenging yourself against in Dynasty Owner, other elite fantasy football players who are committed to competing. Dynasty Owner is the only fantasy football platform with a patent game using actual NFL salaries and contracts. Combine this with a salary cap elite trading options, advanced team rosters, and devoted elite owners to compete against, and you're faced with the same decisions NFL owners and general managers must make. If you're ready to take on the best, then don't miss out. Join the waitlist at DynastyOwner.com. Uh, we also got a message from our friends over at FanDraft. Take your league's fantasy football draft to the next level with FanDraft, the online fantasy football draft board. FanDraft makes your draft feel like the actual NFL draft with features such as a streaming ticker, live draft clock, custom logos, team walk-up songs, multiple draft board displays, and more. I, I'm a big fan of, of the idea of, of having my team have a sweet walk-up song. I, you know, it'd be something powerful and cool and probably 1980s hair metal-ish or something adjacent to that to really intimidate the other people in my league. Um, FanDraft can be used offline for in-person drafts by exporting the display via projector onto a large screen uh, TV for the league to enjoy, but it can also uh, be used fully online and any number of your league owners can join the draft remotely. You know, there's always one guy uh, that isn't able to make the draft. Uh, even if that's the case, he doesn't have the excuse because he can join the draft remotely. You can perform both traditional and auction-style drafts. FanDraft also supports IDPs, rookie-only drafts, keepers, and just about any customization to meet your league requirements. You can sign up for free in a free trial at FanDraft.com. When you're ready to order the Pro account, make sure to use promo code ROTOPOD15. That's R-O-T-O-P-O-D-15 to save 15% off your purchase. Again, that's FanDraft.com. Dot com and use promo code rotopod15 to save 15%. All right, Mario, let's get on to some job position battles, shall we? Let's move on over to Tampa Bay. Um, the running back position there has been uh, where many people have staked a lot of their fantasy team's uh, futures, and it has not paid off well in recent years, dating back to the, the Peyton Barber days. Um, now we have uh, Keyshawn Vaughn and Ronald Jones battling for the workload here. Um, really just a, a tough one to figure out, and they're both going so close to each other um, in fantasy drafts to where it's like that there is a definite like line in the sand where there's the Jones the Jones crowd and the Vaughn crowd and and um there there are varying cases uh for either which side are you on and you know what is your level of interest here and how do you view this shaking out 
Well, this is a tough one to figure out. I knew more certain with more certainty previously what I thought because right after he got drafted, Keyshawn Vaughn was going way ahead of Ronald Jones. I want to say it was upwards of two rounds apart, at least a round and a half, which meant that Vaughn was almost always going at least in the sixth round, sometimes even in the fifth. And then Jones, you know, the seventh, eighth, stuff like that. So when that was the question, it was easy for me to say, oh, well, Jones is obviously the better pick of these two. Because for me, Jones projects as the advantage, the advantage anyway. And so yeah, if he's two rounds cheaper, I, I just don't really need to think about it a whole lot. However, since then, it looks like Keyshawn Vaughn's price tag has fallen a bit. I don't really know why. I never understand why things like this happen where people spend on the basis of some sort of logic in the first place. Then nothing changes then they abandon the logic. Like, I, I don't understand why you do the first one unless you're prepared to see it through. Maybe right. it's as simple as all the Keyshawn Vaughn owners are, are people who have draft good draft volume and maybe they're in a diversifying stage right now and maybe there's no, there's no potential new buyer to fill the void and so he falls past Ronald Jones. It, like, lately, the past week, it seems like Ronald Jones is going just a tad earlier than Vaughn, which... Now that we're asking the question differently, you know, at these new prices, I'm a little less sure what I think now because mm. it's not like I had high – like I didn't have, you know, hopes for the whole world for Ronald Jones. I just thought, yeah, if he's if I'm getting him at a nice, comfortable flex sort of price, I'll do that. Uh, but I'm not – I never had visions of him just, you know, getting a rushing title and relegating Vaughn to the bench. I just hated the idea of paying a fifth or a sixth round pick for a running back who I think will be a backup. So that's why I didn't get Vaughn. But if he's cheaper than Jones, it's worth opening up the, the discussion again, I think, especially because in the course of writing this article, I kind of suspect that we – like me included, but everyone more or less might have had a little bit wrong of a frame on, on the Tampa Bay running back discussion because I certainly took it as Jones versus Vaughn zero-sum game kind of thing. And I failed to notice that Daria Gumbawale actually played more snaps last year than Peyton Barber. He played... Uh, sorry, I'm trying to get to the... I can never get these. Uh, he, he played 340... Oh, sorry. Barber played 347. And Jones played 422. Daria while, played four, or 367, so not far behind. And right, more than so, Barber. Yes, so... Barber's gone, and at the very least, we can pencil in Vaughn for like that share. But what I failed to maybe think about before was the possibility of tapping into those 350 snaps of Agumba Wale's and, and giving them to one or both of, of Vaughn or Jones. So, in other words, instead of having uh, instead of having Jones and Vaughn fight over the 700 and something, 769 snaps that Barber and Jones split last year. Maybe it'll be more like Jones gets 500 snaps and then Vaughn gets to a similar number by taking taking the 300 and whatever from Barber and also getting 150 of Agumba Wale's snaps. Because Agumba Wale was the passing down specialist and he was bad at it. He's not – like I, I wish him the best. I'm glad that he got you know some run here, got, got paid a little bit. But he was a walk-on at Wisconsin and you know that's, that's something that's – pretty categorically limiting like we don't really get starting running as a backs running back a yes wisconsin right. otherwise so, <laughs> is yeah, the walk-on factory yeah he did terrible at that uh at that role last year like he was a drain on the offense ronald jones was the more effective pass catcher between the two so if the initial theory for why Keyshawn vaughn was going to displace ronald jones was that ronald jones got low pff grades for his pass blocking and he, don't get me wrong he was bad at that and bruce arian specifically gave him the hook in one game last year and criticized him publicly after the game for missing a block. But maybe rather than displacing Jones from the offense, Keyshawn Vaughn displaces Daria Gumbawale from the offense. And maybe Jones is the lead runner by a pretty comfortable margin, but Vaughn is more active as a pass catcher between the two yeah. because there's no reason for them to try to keep a Gumbawale on the field, catching 76% of his targets at 6.2 yards per target. That's the definition. That's like the definition of replacement level at most. So Vaughn, if Vaughn can do better than that, then maybe it's like 
Ronald Jones takes up some of those Peyton Barber rushing shares and, and Vaughn just juices his own line by, by more, more so stealing from a Gumbel Wale than the Barber and Jones share from the previous year. Um, what if uh, I know that there's not like a huge track record uh, here for, for this guy, but um, could Raymond Calais kind of challenge for the, the snaps that were going to a Gumbel Wale? I know he's not as polished right. as, as a pass catcher, but there's some there's some intriguing aspects to his game as well that, that maybe yeah. he eats into that into that particular area of the um, snap share. Right, Calais is the wild card here because I feel like this could all break a couple ways. And, you know, maybe one of them is that Calais shows up to the camp and they say, hey, this guy's really good at passing down stuff. And maybe he just take, maybe he just immediately zaps that Agumbo Wale share. And, and maybe Jones and Vaughn are back to fighting over the same, you know, zero sum contest of taking what, fighting for what Jones and Peyton Barber did last year. Calais is a tough one for me because he wasn't actually effective as a pass catcher in college. Right. That could have to do with the uh, just kind of like formational and game planning uh, goals of, of, of the Lafayette offense. Like maybe they just basically never tried to get him going as a pass catcher. And maybe the targets that he did get were more due to broken busted plays than, you know, the quarterback thinking I, I'm, I'm going to throw it to, to this guy. And I, I, I see that he's open. Like maybe it was more like, the quarterback throws it to Calais when everything's going wrong and you can't really judge Calais on the rep. Mm. But he's fast and he was, he was breaking a lot of big plays as a runner at Lafayette uh, where they had two other good running backs who I think we'll see in the NFL. So he can definitely run. It's almost like he's, he's, he's more proven for a role for which there's not a plausible opening. But if he can earn the trust of Arians and whoever else as, as a pass blocker and as a pass catcher, he has a lot more talent than a Gumba Wale. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So he, like you said, I think that he's like a wild card to, to kind of keep an eye on. Um, but lo- just looking at the at this backfield situation as as a whole here, um, how do you fully envision like that that um, a Gumba Wale snap share? Assuming that that kind of just gets redistributed or, around. Um, how does it how does it all end up shaking out like does ronald jones become that that number one rusher in this offense by a comfortable margin and he ends up paying off i think so okay and yeah it's tough because like you know vaughn's fine i don't want to bash him or anything it's just that ronald jones was doing things at usc four years ago that i'm not convinced Keyshawn vaughn can do now and yeah jones had his struggles but he was also so young like he was he was 20 until august as a rookie and that's it's like, I mean, I'm, I'm still stupid. I can't imagine having to be responsible for, you know, big stuff like that at 21, 22. So if, if he simply needed time to, to get, you know, to, to learn how to be a professional, that would be the least surprising thing in the world. And yet people seem to kind of feel his, his harshest critics feel the need to kind of decide like actually it means his talent is bad it's like i don't know this could break a few ways but acting like anything is certain with ronald jones is is a little too aggressive i think i agree and you know again we you look at it uh him and Keyshawn vaughn are essentially the same age and ronald jones has two years of nfl experience over yeah jones it. is younger jones by is younger. three months as a third-year NFL player, so an important detail to to uh, to bear in mind there. Um, all right, let's move on over to New England. Um, obviously, this is a passing game that has a lot more of my attention now that they have Cam Newton as opposed yeah. to Jared Stidham back there. Uh, Julian Edelman, clearly the the number one guy. That's not really negotiable. Um, and we we talked a bit about um, in Keel Harry last week, um, just talking about. Uh, second year wide receivers that that could break out he had you know one of the more invisible rookie seasons obviously there were a ton of amazing examples um, from this 2019 rookie class of receivers but harry still was the second receiver off the board Uh, i know that new england doesn't have a great track record of picking uh receivers but nonetheless there it's too early to give up on him and i think the infusion of cam newton into this uh offense plus Harry having an an extra year of maturation and development and getting his feet under him at the professional level, uh, that can only help. Um, So I think there's enough talent there for him to be potentially fantasy relevant um, as, you know, not just as early as this year, but yes, this year. Yeah, I'm pretty interested because he's so cheap. You can get Harry, I want to say, at something like the wide receiver 60-something. 
he was going later than some rookies that I'm a little less than sold on. Like uh, as rookies years go, I mean, like I like Michael Pittman as a product, uh, as a prospect for sure. But I don't know how reasonable it is to expect him as a rookie to be better than Enkeel Harry as a second year player when Harry was kind of already the better college receiver at a younger age. So weird things can happen and I could just be totally missing something just as easily. But I definitely prefer Harry over someone like that in redraft uh, or somebody like Denzel Mims, whoever it is that's going around there. But Harry's, you know, he's starting from a dark place here because as a, as a rookie season, as far as rookie seasons go, like you said, they don't really get much worse than what it went for him. There still are some plausible excuses, though, not the least of which was suffering an, a high ankle sprain in training camp, which it kind of seemed like Belichick was getting ornery at him for not recovering from it because they kept trying to make him practice and he kept not being able to, and then they put him on IR. So I just don't understand why it wasn't like, Oh crap, he's got a high ankle sprain, put him on the shelf for a month. They, they seemed to kind of try to get him back on the practice field. Uh, in any case, he didn't get that training camp benefit. So th- th- there are cases. I, f- I feel like Odell Beckham was one of them. And th- this is just like by far the most insane anomaly example you could ever conceive but like Odell Beckham missed training camp and then went insane in that 12 games he did play as a rookie so it's not the perfect excuse it it in itself does not excuse Harry but it is a little bit of an excuse It's, it's like a partial explanation and it's especially easy to imagine a rookie struggling when they not only miss training camp with a high ankle sprain but they're already young for their experience level like Harry only turned 22 in mid December so if he's bad this year, then it's like, yeah, maybe maybe this isn't going to work. But there is a pretty good precedent of players who, when they're as big and athletic as Harry and when they produce the way he did at the age that he did, we have we have a pretty good track record of guys like that just magically getting good one day for, for no obvious reason. And I think it's worth having that blind faith in Harry because he carried the Arizona State baseline for the for – the, or sorry, he, he carried their volume – in that Arizona State passing game, and he played well above the baseline. So a guy like Denzel Mims, for example, he carried the volume of the Baylor passing game, but he did not exceed the baseline. And he he was playing at a significantly higher age, like almost two years than Harry was in his his collegiate case. So Harry was raw last year. Like he was really bad at certain wide receiver stuff. But we have enough reason to believe like he will improve because he, he struggled his first year actually at Arizona State too. Like, he showed up as a blue chip recruit. They they force fed him the ball a lot. He didn't really do that well as a true freshman. And then as a true sophomore and true junior, he just went nuts. Right. So if he made huge borderline inexplicable gains as a second year player, that would only be perfectly consistent with his history already. Oh, there we go. All right. So you, you have that laid out pretty well when it when it comes to Harry. I'm, I'm definitely interested. Um, I wasn't interested last year, but uh, the harder that uh, I've looked at him uh, during this draft season and, and identifying some some of those later round targets to uh, to sell myself on it, Harry definitely checks a lot of the boxes. And I think uh, Cam Newton being there um, definitely makes me a lot more interested definitely. Um, in him. Um, how are you approaching the rest of this receiving core um, and, and how do you see it shaking out in terms of like the, the target shares? Well, it's pretty tough because the Patriots spent that second round pick to get Sanu, Mohamed Sanu last year. And obviously the Patriots thought this through and, and so it wasn't a surprise to them. But the, the curious thing is that they would have needed Sanu to play a different position than he did with the Falcons. So I would have understood more easily if they traded a second round pick for Sanu because Julian Edelman had like a broken leg or something and they needed a new slot receiver because Mohamed Sanu is fundamentally a slot ideal player. Like he doesn't have the athleticism to generate separation outside. He creates quick brief separation and then he reliably catches the ball when you throw through that separation and then he can do some stuff after the catch to, to do a little bit more. He's never even theoretically supposed to have been a guy who gets open outside and certainly not downfield. So I thought that was a really bad trade because it was inviting the safeties to come in even closer. And Tom Brady already had enough trouble stretching the field. So to me, that, that seems to just kind of compound their problems. However, Sanu never really got a fair shot in the offense either because he had his own high ankle type thing. And he didn't sit down when it happened. He kept trying to play and it, it, he, he you know, went just completely useless after that injury. And 
it was just all so strange. Like they were still using him as a punt returner, even though he was on one leg. Mm. Like Belichick could be a little smarter about the way he handles injuries, I think. And Sanu and Harry were both great examples last year. But we just don't know. Like he, Sanu might have done okay even playing as the outside receiver. Uh, the sample that he had just was was awful, but it it just isn't fair to judge him by it. So maybe Belichick has some sort of scheme. Maybe McDaniel's has some sort of scheme detail that will help Sanu get open, even though he's running outside. I have no idea. I have, I don't know what obviously that would be. I kind of think it was just a bad trade. But Sanu has to play outside because unless they're in trips formation, they won't have two slot reps, and Julian Edelman is always going to be the one A there. So. I think Sanu is going to have to get starter workload outside for the most part. I don't know whether they'll stick with it, but I think they're going to go with it initially, if only to justify that trade. The question is whether that third spot, the the second outside receiver spot, will it come down to Harry? And and I think we should consider Harry the safe favorite there. Uh, Or will it be Marquise Lee or Demir Bird who, who, who start getting reps there? Because Marquise Lee, of course, he's, he's been disappeared. It feels like forever now. But he missed the 2018 season because of a, uh, yeah, the 2018 season because of an ACL tear that he had in like August, and then he was on the PUP list, and there was a, there was an odd amount of gloom and, and lack of talk of progress with his recovery after that. To the so he didn't come back until after the PUP list, and that's weird because that generally indicates something else was wrong with his knee other than just the ACL tear. Because normally you're back way before then from just an ACL tear. Like there had to right. be cartilage damage or other ligament damage. So we don't know if Marquise Lee now is the same guy that he was three years ago or if he's kind of just playing with a busted wheel. But if he isn't playing with a busted wheel, I mean, he, he's an okay player. He's definitely not bad. And uh, he, he's more he's more polished certainly than Harry would be. So maybe maybe Lee's mostly there as as Harry insurance. Like if if Harry gets to training camp and still doesn't know how to run a route, maybe they're like, okay, Lee, you're on. I'm gonna go deal with this other thing. But if Harry's if Harry's able to play like competently, I feel like Lee is more like just kind of a a cheap insurance policy than a, than a likely candidate. And Demir Bird getting signed is gives you that much more reason to think it's the it's the cheap insurance scenario because Bird can do some things like he's going to play the question is whether they use him as anything more than a decoy at 5 9 170 ish but bird is a burner like he, he is by far the fastest player i would assume on that team let alone among the receivers so that speed novelty is going to earn him some sort of role because you can tell they signed him specifically to keep the safeties off and uh you know maybe maybe he's out there running that third route maybe he's out there and he, maybe, he's probably not getting targeted because it's probably you know they're just telling him to tangle up the safeties a bit but it might be bird who's who's out there next to edelman and sanu if harry is disappointing and if lee it turns out just kind of has a busted knee still and they have bird kind of doing you know to draw the like the cam newton historical comparison just like have him almost like it buried almost in like a ted ginn type role yeah maybe and he can do some stuff after the catch like he's got a returner background i want to say from south carolina too but uh you can you can just look at that kind of speed and instantly know if something you can use it for and you know if if nothing else one of those things is you can you can make the safety worry about him yeah speed speed always impacts the game and and if he is head and shoulders above the rest of the of that team uh in that sense then i i would imagine that belichick finds a way to to get him onto the field and then my, my only lone co- uh contribution adding to the to this patriots receiving core i think you know where i'm going with this I hope Jeff Thomas has a good tri- training camp. <laughs> no, I mean he's he's the I think the backup to Bird. Like I think he's going to be on the practice squad, but you can tell they're amassing like a certain collection of, of traits, and I, I think Bird has a certain role in mind, and Jeff Thomas uh, certainly has the same frame as Bird. He didn't run as fast in the forty, but you know he's, maybe maybe he was one of those guys who just ran a little slower than he than he actually is on the field so yeah if bird goes down with an injury god forbid then i think thomas's odds of making the team are actually pretty good all of a sudden yeah i I mean he's better than the rest of those like back of the roster type of um guys right there like like a will hastings or a sean riley or quincy Adeboyo, anything like that but you know that's just this is not actionable in, in 
insight from me it's just more like i like jeff thomas i think he i think he has a little bit more talented or more talent than your uh, run-of-the-mill um undrafted player so just keep an eye on him assuming the training camp goes off i think that he could uh turn some heads there if if i can quickly say i think hastings is a kind of interesting long-term slot sort of prospect but yeah right now he's uh you know the wide receiver five probably for that role because jacoby myers edelman sanu Probably Lee even would all get that rep first. But uh, if Hastings makes the practice squad, keep an eye on him, too, because he, he was good if, like three years ago for Auburn. Yes, he was. Um, it's just uh, he, he was really effective. It's just like I'd forgotten about that because Auburn's offense changed uh, so much. But, yeah, no, he, he does have a little bit of something to his game um, as well. But that's going to round it out. Um, for today's episode of Rotowire of the Rotowire NFL podcast, um, thanks again to our sponsors, Dynasty Owner um, and Fan Draft for Mario Puig. I'm John McKechnie. Thanks for listening. <laughs> <laughs>